We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about another Nets win over the Miami Heat, 98-85. How are we feeling, Jack? Nick, we asked the big questions on this podcast. Godzilla or King Kong? It's a great question. You know, you might have to head to Kevin Durant's Twitter page to figure out who's going to win <laughs> or maybe go see the movie. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we didn't necessarily have the King Kong or Godzilla Nets tonight, but they still got the W. And uh, before we jump into that, as always, you can find us on all streaming platforms, including otgbasketball.com, netsrepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. But, Jack, no King Kong, no Godzilla. Nets still got it done, though, right? Yeah, the scary hours were just flickering along, Nick, especially in that fourth quarter. I thought that fourth quarter may have been one of the best quarters of the Brooklyn Nets season. Yeah. You know, I thought James Harden really, you know, fell into his zone. Still only 10 shots for him, but I thought that a, a large majority and an awareness of his, like, really push it and go, okay, I've got an opening here. I've got to step back here. Uh, I've got to kick out past to Joe Harris here. I've got to kick out to KD here. He led the way. And I think it's just the, the bevy of riches that the Brooklyn Nets have. There's going to be a night where Kyrie Irving takes over. There's going to be a night where Kevin Durant takes over. And there's going to be a night where James Harden takes over. And you cannot guard all three of them unless you have three Scotty Pippins and Dennis Rodmans or something or a Draymond Green out there. Uh, it's nigh on impossible. And that might not even it was work. Awesome. <laughs> and it still might not work because good offense always beats good defense. But uh, I think that was the big takeaway from the game, Nick. James Harden really picking up and really finding his own and really starting to go, you know what? I'm James Harden. I can kind of do this now. And I did see Seth Partner sort of talk about the fact that he's playing. He only played 34 minutes tonight. So we've seen him play, you know, uh, probably the most minutes of any Brooklyn then in the past three or four games. And now limiting his minutes and having Kyrie Irving play a little bit more with the second unit allowed him to have a, a greater amount of energy and explosiveness because he was just getting by guys 
Yeah, and we talked about it on the last show, or maybe it was uh, the the last Cavs game that we talked about, that he looked a little fatigued a little bit, you know, the conditioning catching up to him. But like you said, Jack, that fourth quarter was great. The Nets won at 28-14, just very dominant, went on some nice runs in there. I think James Harden had, like, what, 16 points in the fourth quarter or something along those lines? Yeah. And and then the defense I thought was solid. You know, Bam didn't catch fire this fourth quarter, and obviously that was a big factor, but I thought defensively as a unit they did a better job, and Kevin Durant was pretty active on the boards cleaning up a lot of those Bam misses. So, you know, you like to see great teams flip the switch, especially in a close game where the offense wasn't necessarily cooking. They were able to turn it on the fourth quarter where it really mattered, and guys like Kevin Durant might have bad shooting nights, but when it comes to the fourth quarter, they're still going to hit big shots. Are you more positive about the fourth quarter and this game overall, Nick, than say, you know, the win over the Milwaukee Bucks and such? I know it's a hard thing to sort of compare. You know, the Nets are giving up 120 points to everyone. But, you know, we had Bam dropping 40 on us the other night. You know, Goran Dragic was, was pretty hot tonight. Duncan Robinson, thankfully, we kept quiet. But to me, I'll answer my own question, I guess. I'm as positive about this quarter overall as any other game we've seen this season. And it's probably a little bit of recency bias, but... The, a quest, the questions that we've had that have pertained for so long about the defense and I guess about James Harden and his acclamation are starting to answer themselves. Yeah, I think, you know, a win against a big team like the Milwaukee Bucks with that amount of star town and somebody you're probably going to see in the postseason is going to probably still carry more value for me. But I agree that there's definitely things that you can take away from this game that give you confidence in, you know, some of the question marks, like you mentioned, Jack, some of the cleanup things defensively. They weren't necessarily amazing, but they were a lot better than what we've seen probably over the last week. And then, like you said, with James Harden starting to find that rhythm. And I thought, you know, some of the habits are starting to come. Like you saw a catch and shoot three that was like no yep. hesitation at all. And I think that's a big thing because he's turned a couple of those down. He turned a couple down tonight. But if he can start hitting those and get more comfortable with that shot, we know he's one of the best shooters really in the NBA over the last year in terms of volume so like just getting in those open shots I think it's just something he has to get used to yeah and I thought he did a good job I think his awareness is still really really good I think if this wasn't the Miami Heat he probably would have had 30 because their zone defense you know prevented James Harden from attacking whereas in the final quarter we saw a little bit more one-on-one -on -one, and James Harden's like you know what I'm going to attack these dudes I'm going to yep. attack Kendrick Nunn and get to the line or penetrate and kick out and I thought James Harden is an incredibly intelligent and savvy player and you know 20 points for him 8 assists did have a steal did have a block three, only 3 turnovers as well the Nets at the Overall, I thought were much better in that department of take care and taking care of the ball. Did get to the line as well. Three of five from three, seven of ten from the field. I think that James Harden, like I mentioned on previous pods, Nick, he knows how to score. It's not like he's forgotten how to do it. It's because he hasn't been doing it. You know, as he mentioned, he's getting a feel for the guys, trying to be a bit more, not passive in a, in a negative sense, but to get other guys their shots. You know, the guys on the bench when he's playing with them. And then also, it doesn't hurt to get Joe Harris a couple of shots when he's shooting yep. uh, flamethrowers uh, in the past couple of games too. So I'm incredibly confident. And this performance, you know, only gives me more confidence about the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, and not only their, their chances uh, in the Eastern Conference, but their championship chances. Because I think that the defense really to click uh, and James Harden to me defensively just talking about that Nick James Harden's looking like a pretty good defender right now he's not amazing but he might be one of the three Ford best defenders in the starting lineup at the very least yeah, I mean, he has solid moments out there, and he does some things really well. We know the post-defense, quick hands, and obviously being in a system helps where, you know, there are some guys, and I think the communication was better. But just getting back to James Harden, like you said, Jack, being such a smart player, there was one play in transition where Precious was chasing him behind, and he kind of hit him with that change of pace. 
and it really took him out of the play, and he got the easy dunk. I thought he was almost going to get the and one there, but just James Harden has a great feel for the game, and you know, you're continuing to see that. And like he mentioned after the last post game, that he wanted to get a better feel for his teammates. So I think we'll continue to see him pick up that aggression. And like you said, he struggled a little bit against that zone, and also some of the defense Miami threw in the first half. They were blitzing him a lot off pick and rolls, like they didn't want him to do anything. So you know, credit to them and their defense. And I think it's also the Nets starting to adapt to playing with James Harden because. You know, he's a different player out there as well than what they're used to. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, the teammates around him are starting to get to understand the tendencies that he has. Because, look, if you've got James Harden, TLC, Bruce Brown, Reggie Perry and Jeff Green out there, you know, you're probably subbing in, in, in a Joe Harris. He spends a lot of time with Joe Harris on the floor. You know, it makes things tough for, for James Harden to have yep. the, the fair brunt of the work on him. And I thought that he did, he always does a good job of making the right decision a lot of the time. Um, and I, I think tonight was probably even an even greater awareness of that. You know, he makes Reggie Perry, you know, a second round pick look passable on the floor. And that's saying something. He makes DeAndre Jordan look like a, a decent enough, you know, player on the floor out there with, with the loves that he provides and the passes and the pick and roll. You know, he's an incredible passer. He is a really, really good decision maker. And that thing of feel, Nick, I was listening to a podcast thinking basketball the other day, and they were really dissecting what feel means in a basketball player. And they were talking about things like proprioception. I think that's the right word. And things like decision-making uh, and the ability to get reps and know how to make decisions under really high-pressure situations. And I think James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, the Nets have really good feel guys. Joe Harris is a good feel guy. Uh, Jeff Green is a good feel guy. And I think that that just relates to guys that just know how to play basketball know how to make winning plays, know how to impact the game in positive fashion. And it's good to see that we've got a lot of guys who can kind of do that. There's also a couple of guys in the rotation right now who, who can't necessarily, but you know the ones that we're relying on to get us to wins, uh, they have as good a feel and as good as intuitiveness as anyone in the league. Yeah, and it's only going to get better, too, as they get more comfortable with each other. You know what I mean? And like you said, getting reps, it's also getting reps with your teammates and understanding where they're going to be. And just to talk on James Harden a little bit more, like he had eight assists tonight. It was a terrible shooting night for the Nets. They shot 40% from the field, 28% from three. He probably could have easily had 15 on a regular night. Like he's just that good of a passer. And it's just every night he's just out there kind of finding guys. But I thought there was also a couple offensive sets where Steve Nash kind of took advantage of the type of gravity that these guys have. Like, I think it was just a, a quick bounce pass of uh, Kyrie coming off a DJ screen and then DJ just rolled to the rim and it ended up being an easy oop because like you're defending Kyrie Irving and James Harden and Kevin Durant and Joe Harris. Like you don't really care about DeAndre Jordan. I feel like DeAndre Jordan feasted tonight. You know, it, he only had, I think, six or five dunks in the game. It felt like he had 10. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I agree with that. Just to, like you mentioned, Nick, the, the gravity of all the players leaves one guy open at one stage. In the latter points of the game, Corey Irving was open for a layup yeah. off of Joe Harris' drive. And, <laughs> Under the and rim, like, when do you ever see that? <laughs> that's never going to happen. Joe Harris was open for threes tonight. You know, when the yep. ball is moving and the ball is swinging, you know, it, it, there were points in the first quarter, someone in the second, where there was just taking too long to get into their sets. The Miami Heat defense is great, one of the best defenses and defensive systems in the the league it doesn't matter who they've got out there whether it's you know a couple of rookies or if it's Andre Iguodala one of the smartest defensive players in the league they know how to play systematic defense and that's held by their leadership and their coaching staff so I thought that this was a, a the, the Nets can get a good shot whenever they want to if they 
don't sort of rely on just going, oh, you know what, we'll wait five seconds, we'll roll it up the court and have 18 seconds rather than, you know, 21 seconds. Um, I think that the Nets, if they show the purpose consistently, are always going to get a good shot, especially when their starting five are out there. And he subbed DeAndre Jordan out for Jeff Green with the closing lineups. You know, it just makes it, it's you got five out. Five out basketball um, is something that you and I truly do love. And, and Jeff Green... Uh, five I mean, out basketball at, with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant just doesn't even seem fair. And Joe Harris. Uh, probably and Joe, one no, the... Well, I'm just saying guys who can attack, like yeah. you know, right off the bat. And then you have Joe Harris, who's an elite spacer. The other three guys are, you know, elite spacers too. And Jeff Green's is no slouch because what I, I posted a tweet before the game, he's shooting over 50%. After today, it might be a little jinxed bit less. Him, you jinxed him, mate. What are you doing? You <laughs> keep those tweets to yourself. We'll slide into the DMs and then provide the stats to me. But yeah. my, it, it did remind me, Nick, as well, about the Joe Harris drive. I thought that that was one of his best plays of the season. You know, he hit like seven threes the other night in the first half. But for me, that was my favorite play of the season because he knew that the guy was coming out. He said, you know what? I'm going to attack this mofo. Yep. And I can't remember if it was Kelly Olenek or, or some other person on the Miami Heat. And he gets the and one play. And it's like Joe, Joe Harris doing the fist pump. It's our, our guy Kyrie Irving doing the fist pump. I thought that was an incredible play. Uh, and then Ampy Dexter's finished. He finished it with the left as well. Strength, purpose, aggression. Uh, Joe Harris is uh, better than Duncan Robinson and he's better than a lot of other three-point shooters in the league too. Yeah, and I thought it was a really smart play from Joe because he wasn't necessarily having his best night from three up to that point. You know what I mean? I think he might have missed all of his threes or he had only hit one and he missed a couple ones that he usually hit. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to put the ball in the basket and I'm going to get a free throw. And, you know, that's the perfect thing for a shooter. As soon as you see the ball go in, you're good to go. And he ended up hitting some big threes later in the game. So Joe Harris constantly doing his thing and there's going to be a night where Joe Harris doesn't miss a three and he goes eight for eight because his looks are just that wide open. Like I I'm waiting for it too. And like you said, the other night he hit seven, like him in the offense of playing alongside these guys. And especially as he gets more comfortable with them, I think he's going to do only better. Yeah. And he, I liked Steve Nash's rotations, putting him with the second unit yep. and putting him with James Harden at times. And sometimes Kyrie Irving, you know, him and Jeff Green, you know, are the two guys that sort of had those minutes staggered the most with the different lineups, and both of them finished with plus 19. You know, when the second unit was doing well, Joe Harris and Jeff Green were out there together, uh, or at least one of them was, because yep. yeah, another great night from Joe. I don't know if Joe has had a, a less than a double-digit scoring performance uh, this season. You know, it can't necessarily be more than two or three. 12 points for him, three of eight from three. You know, obviously got that free throw that I alluded to as well. Uh, a couple of dimes good rebounding uh, and he is improving defensively you know we mentioned the block last game which was awesome uh, but it seems to me that you know he is wanting to play defense as well you know he, he rotates harder than anybody else on the team i think he probably does and he he's the guy that probably has the least least athleticism of any player that we have right now and that's saying something so yeah joe's uh doing a, a masterful job and uh, i think he deserves to stay with the starting lineup do you think nick yeah, I think if it's working, why change it? I mean, the only time I would maybe consider it if they have a really big team they're going against and they don't want to see KD bang with somebody big, you know, maybe you swap Joe Harris, I mean, Joe, uh, Jeff Green in there. But if not, you know, let Joe Harris do his thing. I thought Joe Harris did pretty good on the switches tonight. He also had a couple nice closeouts on Bam. Maybe he could teach TLC a thing or two. <laughs> uh, TLC closeouts, Nick. Um, what do you got to say? Later, we're still in the positive stuff here. Cool, cool. Well, let's stick with it. Let's stick with it. But yeah, I, I think that and and Joe was emblematic of of the team overall in terms of their their defensive communication and awareness. There was 
Uh, it didn't seem like, I mean, we weren't there. We can't necessarily tell. But uh, just a greater awareness, not even necessarily like physical communication, going, Joe, rotate, Joe, rotate, Jeff, go there, or Kai, go to the corner or whatever. It just seemed to me that the guy's like, you know what, I'm going to move here because I know. Um, and I think that that just comes with reps and experience. Yep and familiarity with each other. You know, you add in the third superstar in James Harden, you know, it throws out, you know, the, the, the on-court chemistry a little bit. You need to get acclimated on both sides of the floor. And it seems to me that there is a growing synergy with these guys um, that is really, really positive. Yeah, and I think, like you said, Jack, it's also a new system. You know, not only is it just new teammates, it's like getting comfortable with the system and what they're running out there and, you know, where guys have uh, strengths, where they have weaknesses and things along those lines. What do you think of DeAndre Jordan tonight? Average, yeah. Um, I get frustrated by DeAndre because he keeps sagging back. Yeah. Like, it's not Yardis, dude. It's Bam. And he put 40 on your head the other night. Why are you giving him so much space? And it, it, it frustrated me to no end. But then there was also some decent plays from him. You know, he runs hard uh, in, in, and getting the lobs from, from James Harden. He screens really, really well. You know, he's got some really nice off-ball screens that might be his most valuable skill right now. Yeah. He was active on the offensive boards even though you only had two of them i thought that he was trying more there you know 20 minutes uh, from him five or seven from the field six boards had a steal had a dime as well uh, i i minus three you know he wasn't the most positive player on the floor but um this was uh, maybe a slightly subpar deandre jordan performance just because of the matchup itself like bam is going to cook him whereas uh, against more lumbering and less versatile centers i'm a bit more confident in deandre and you know when you know we don't have a, a backup rookie in and it's someone with a bit more vet experience hopefully coming soon then it you know allows deandre to to hone his skills even more so um so yeah uh, uh, average ish nick what about you yeah, I think offensively he was probably a little bit better than normal. He didn't drop any passes tonight. He caught a couple tough ones too, and he dunked a lot of stuff, which is obviously easy, but that's what he's there to do. And like you said, I, he does a nice job with the off-ball screen, specifically getting KD loose so he can get those elbow jumpers. So does, yeah. Yep. And uh, But like you said, defensively against Bam, it's tough. you know. And he still typically is going to do that thing where he kind of watches the other team offensive rebound, where he's just like a step late to reacting. I mean, there was one stretch in the second quarter where I thought he showed some good energy on both ends. It was like a 90-second stretch where he was really good. But then there's, you know, the other 90 seconds where he's just terrible and he's just making a whole bunch of mistakes. So it's just kind of the, always the good and the bad with DeAndre. But this is, you know, at least a passable game from him, as you kind of used earlier for uh, Reggie Perry. <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, I think that we can't... Our, our center rotation is clearly our, our Achilles heel right now. Um, pardon the pun, I guess, with the team, with the, with the guy coming off an Achilles injury. But it, but it truly is. And, um, you know, we'll get to some, some rumors and some trade stuff later in the pod. But, Nick, in terms of KD, um, he was off, but he still hit some big shots. You know, uh, it didn't feel like he was 6 of 21 from the field, 3 of 12 from 3, because he's a guy that has the, the maturity and poise to be like next shot mentality. Yeah, that 1-3 he hit at the end of the shot clock where he kind of lost the ball and Eric Spolster was hoping that he would double dribble. It's like most players can only hit that on a night where they're scorching hot. KD had a rough night and he knocked that down. And that just tells you everything you need to know about him. And you've mentioned it before. We've talked about it. Kevin Durant's the type of player where you really don't care what type of shooting night he's having, he's going to probably hit the next shot. Like, that's the type of confidence you have in him just based off his history. But I thought he impacted the game in other ways. 
you know, 13 rebounds, five assists, two blocks, a steal. I think there was some defensive impact. You know, he's still a touch slow on some of his on-ball defense and kind of shifting laterally. And you can tell maybe that's something with the Achilles. But his off-ball defense is just something that the Nets really need. And there was a play also where the, the Heat had a, like a three-on-one fast break and he turned it into nothing because he's Kevin Durant. Yeah, and and probably one of his best defensive plays tonight was when he got uh, um, on Bam in the post. I think it was in the first or second quarter, and got he stripped. Yep. Yeah, he got the swipe. He blocked and... the three tonight too. Did he yeah. get two threes tonight? Uh, he blocked at least one. And I remember the Kelly Olenek one, which was uh, made it even sweeter because uh, stuffed that dude. Um, I'm incredibly <laughs> insulted that uh, my brother compared me to him in terms of our aesthetics and appearance. I don't like that. Uh, I'm uh, not oh moving out with him rude. anymore. That is you incredibly need to, you need to rude. file a brother divorce. <laughs> yeah, I'll be emancipating if that's somehow possible. But yeah, I, I thought Katie, like you mentioned, Nick, if he can impact their game in this form, it, it wasn't a bad game from him, despite it was a bad shooting game from him. It wasn't a bad game overall because, again, you know, that pass to Jeff Green was insane. Yep. Like, that was just awesomely timed, perfectly um, paced as well on the bounce, and Jeff didn't even have to move, it, move at all. You know, as I alluded to earlier, he's our best defender on the team. I know some people got in my mentions about Bruce Brown. Yes, Bruce Brown is an incredible defender as well, but I think KD's versatility and ability to impact off the ball, on the ball, uh, just makes him a, a goddamn menace. So uh, hopefully, you know, he there's more reinforcements coming in and, and it allows him to play less than 38 minutes, allows him to you know, not necessarily switch onto the post and not have the, the, the rebounding burden uh, that he does because when he's not in the game, you know, the, the Nets are a much poorer rebounding team. You know, he's the best player in not just like in the league in general, but in terms of the Brooklyn Nets. The only thing that he's not the best at on this team is passing. And that's because we got James Harden. <laughs> yeah, it's really true, Jack. I mean, his impact on the game is immense. And like you said, I wouldn't mind if he had to, you know, grab as many rebounds or bang with bigs if he played less minutes. You know what I mean? Playing him 38 minutes is just a little bit too much, especially coming off the torn Achilles. And obviously you want to get him to conditioning. But on the shortened season, I think, you know, we're playing a little bit with fire here. <laughs> like, you know, I would just kind of bring him down. Like, I'd rather see James Harden's numbers up. I would either rather see Kyrie Irving's numbers up. And I get it. Some of it is, you know, the lack of the bench right now and the second unit playing so poorly. But, you know, it is a it's a long term goal winning a championship. It's not, you know, you know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, look, obviously you would want the minutes to come down, but you know, every time he falls down, everyone on Nets when Twitter... When he slipped on that wet spot tonight, I was worried. <laughs> yeah, and when Kai, you know, uh, twisted his ankle yep. ever so slightly. So, look, it, it, it's hard in the mouth stuff for Brooklyn Nets fans, you know, every single game. But, you know, he's showing incredible durability and, you know, resting him. Uh, I, I... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think is was the smart decision the other night. And uh, I think that the Nets are handling him the right way right now. And, and look, he's a hooper. He's going to want to be out there. He's going to yeah. want to play 35 minutes plus. But hopefully, the luxury of that, um, you know, to, allows us, you know, you add in a, a, an extra wing, an extra big, and that automatically takes you know, at least five minutes away from KD. And you can play 33 minutes a night rather than 38. Yep. It'll be interesting to see how it manages or if it's something they have to rely on. It really depends on how the rest of the roster shakes out. Obviously, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But, uh, Jack, what do you want to talk about next? Uh, we can jump into Kyrie Irving, Nick, because it seems to me it seems to me that, like, you were alluding to in the Cleveland games that, you know, his, his engagement on the defensive end and his engagement in general wasn't totally there. He was still incredible offensively in those performances. But to me, the game tonight, it, he he's showing a will and a desire that is leading this team in a lot of ways. You know, when KD doesn't get a miss, you know, Kai tries to put it in. And, and I'm liking his fight defensively. There's times where he will get cooked because, look, he's 6'1", um, and, and he's quite slight in comparison to a lot of our, our, our other guys. But, and despite the fact, you know, 6 or 17 from the field, 1 or 4 from 3, I thought he, he could have got a lot more calls tonight as well. Yeah. I thought he rebounded the ball really well. I thought his facilitating was better. Uh, and defensively, I did like his game too. So while the, this box score isn't going to be one that sticks out and the box scores from Cleveland are going to stick out more, I actually think tonight was probably as much, if not more, of an impactful performance. I think it, it allows your team to win. You know what I mean? Like, you can have bad shooting nights and your team can still win if you do the other things. Like, he even helped on the boards having eight rebounds. And like you said, showing some effort defensively goes a long way and being part of the defense instead of trying to make some of these, like, steals or out of position or just slow in transition. So, like you said, Jack, I think this is a it's a good performance from Kyrie Irving. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It wasn't amazing. Obviously, you don't want to shoot 6 of 17. But you don't mind the misses when a lot of them are coming at the rim. Because, like you said, you know, against most teams, he's probably getting those calls. The Miami gets a lot of respect because they're one of the better defenses in the NBA. But overall, pretty happy with the way Kyrie Irving played and hopefully can continue this level of effort. Yeah, and I think that he can set the tone in, in that regard because he has such an infectious personality. And, you know, shout out to the Kobe Bryant jersey that he wore uh, upon the arrival, um, the one-year anniversary to, to his mentor's passing. Um, a, a lovely little tribute from him. And, you know, I do prefer the number eight as well. I am partial to the number eight Kobe Bean Bryant jersey. So uh, shout out to Kyrie Irving, and hopefully he's doing okay um, in what is a tough time because he did uh, allude to with Rachel Nichols uh, in, in previous iterations how he's still, you know, processing and, yeah. and, and still going through the morning. And, you know, you, you never truly get over uh, uh, the loss of, of a great friend and a great mentor. But um, he's continuing to set the standard and mentor, you know, not just the Brooklyn Nets, but I did like the little jersey swap. He finally got Bam's jersey yeah. at the end of the game. Um, Kyrie Irving is, is a leader in so many ways, off the court, on the court. You know, we've spoken about his off the court efforts, but um, it's good to see because it, it seems to me that his energy um, is, is certainly there. We don't like to read into it too much, but um, I'm loving what he's doing on and off the court. And, um, you know, we are massive. If Kyrie Irving stands, uh, Kyrie Andrew Irving. Um, I've got my Basquiat t-shirt, uh, t-shirt uh, jersey, and, and I love wearing it. I've got the KD on one right now, but yeah, Kai keep doing Kai things. Yeah, like you said, Jack, you know, really nice performance and hopefully kind of continue this moving forward. And he did seem happier in Brooklyn than in Cleveland. You know, whatever that might be, who really knows? Like you said, can't really look into it too much. And we talked Jeff Green, you know, another solid game from him. Didn't necessarily hit a ton of shots. Thought his defense on Bam was pretty good. But uh, in terms of the second unit, anybody really play positive in your eyes? 
Um, no, but Jeff Green, I wanted to give some more love to Nick because I, I tweeted, I thought his fourth quarter defense, especially, and when and, and went on Bam out of bio, was great. You know, he forced him to shoot over him, and there was probably only like one of those shots that he made, but the rest of them, he was right near his grill. And, you know, I was giving DeAndre Jordan, you know, a heap of, of guff and not being close enough to him. Jeff Green didn't give him that opportunity, and he made him shoot over him in tough positions from tough angles. I thought he was really, really good there. And he still has the gravity, and he had six free throws. You know, he, he's great at attacking the lane uh, as well. You know, five boards, two assists, had a seal as well. Like with Joe Harris, was plus 19 on the night, 10 points for him. So even if that three ball isn't falling, he's still going to impact the game because, look, 34 minutes, he's playing the most minutes and um, I, I can't necessarily remember. Maybe he's Boston Celtics days. Um, I don't know at the top of my head, but he's as impactful as a player on the Brooklyn Nets right now than, than any other. Um, I, I think he's providing great, great value to this team. You know, the backup center, the, the closing center. Um, and what he did against Bam tonight, you know, limiting him, even though Bam is continuing and is, is a breakout star and only going to get better. Uh, Jeff did make that, that final quarter really tough for him. Yeah, he was one of my best contracts in the episode of The Outlet that's going to drop tomorrow. But um, like you said, Jack, Bam is a tough player to defend. And I thought, you know, Jeff Green took a lot from that previous performance in how to defend him. You know, he didn't get caught biting on those pump fakes as much. He did a better job forcing him off his spots. And, you know, making him relocate. And that's just enough to throw someone off, especially someone like Bam, who's not necessarily fully to his peak level yet. He's not, you know, a master in this yet. He's still learning a little bit on the way. But as soon as he masters all the skills, he's going to be a tough guy to defend. Not quite there yet, so you can get away with Jeff Green. But, you know, a couple of years from now, Nets better have somebody else in-house. <laughs> oh, yeah, watch out. Um, hopefully in a couple of years, the Nets have a couple of championships by then. But, Nick, what did you think of Reggie Perry's game? Before we do get to probably some, you know, some criticism and some positives from him, um, James Harden alluded to saying, you know, he he listens, he learns, he works his butt off, and that's all you can ask from a young guy. Uh, I, I certainly um, echo those sentiments. You know, he works hard, and I know a lot of people on Nets Twitter, you know, he's not going to be contributing in the latter points of the season, but right now, I think he is providing at least something out there. He's a, he's a big body, and I do like him. There was... I think the defensive tone a lot of the time was set from the second unit. And I think Reggie Perry, not necessarily as a, as a backline defender, but as a switching defender, fits the system well. Um, and he's showing activity on the boards. You know, he's putting up some laps here and there, making things tough. And, you know, James Harden makes him look good too. So, and I think Steve Nash was also sort of saying, you know, he's a rookie. He's going to work his way through it uh, as well. Um, you can say a lot of bad things here and there. You know, he's, he's going to get found out by Bam. He should never be on the court at the same time <laughs> as someone uh, as elite as he is. But, you know, Reggie tries and he hustles. And um, sometimes that makes up for a, a lack of talent and a lack of experience. And maybe not tonight against a Bam out of bio, but I thought he held his own against a, a pretty decent young rookie in Precious Achua. Yeah, I think, you know, Reggie Perry's the 57th overall pick. Like, we know this. Like, he was a second-round pick. I didn't think the Nets anticipated him playing much this year. They probably didn't even know if he'd make the team. He ended up getting on a two-way contract, and the situation just calls for him to play. Obviously, he shows some things in training camp, but he just has a lot to learn about the NBA game. And, you know, like you said, Jack, he makes up for it sometimes with some of his hustle and toughness, but there's just little things that it's impossible for him really to know, and he just doesn't have that some of those elite skills that kind of cover it up, but you do appreciate the hustle, the energy. And then, like you said, James Harden says that he's a listener. So that's all you can really ask for. And he's, you know, obviously doing the best he can out there. It's just some of those mistakes stick out a little bit more, especially when you're the center defensively. 
Yeah, and look, I'll I'll finish my thoughts on Reggie Perry with Steve Nash. I'm a fan of Reggie's. You have to give him time to adapt to the game in short yep. minutes. He's the guy who was his top prospect his whole life, and now he's to fill in a role. It's always hard for guys to adapt to a, a new role, especially when you're a rookie, especially when you're young, and especially when you know the, there are high expectations on you, no matter what. And um, I think that we need to temper them a little bit and, and show, you know, if this was say Jared Allen, if this was DeAndre Jordan, you know, we we actively expect more from DeAndre Jordan because he is a vet he has that experience we want him to produce we expect him to produce but you can't necessarily expect that from a guy who's the 57th pick uh, in the draft and while he has a lot of talent and a lot of you know tangible things that he can put together to, to produce in the NBA um, against Bam Adebayo and against these sort of teams it's going to be tough for him but look uh, I, I think that he he's going to he's going to figure it out Nick I think he's going to be an NBA player uh, I'm not sure how much he, he can contribute to this Brooklyn Nets team but um, if the reinforcements come sooner rather than later it allows him to hone his game off the court which I think um, would provide him the world of good too yeah and talking about another bench performer uh, TLC he had some rough moments tonight especially on those closeouts fouling Duncan Robinson I literally put out a video Nick I literally put out a video today of TLC and a poor closeout and I jinxed him like you did with Jeff Green shooting and he does another horrible closeout thank god it was a a two-point shot because Duncan Robinson's foot was on the line but man TLC like you've done it like a a, maybe once a game close out right that's the problem i'm surprised no one has like talked to him about it like he jumps into their body it's a i mean he did it multiple times in this game and he's lucky it didn't get called for more like he just literally just based off how they officiate the game like he he could foul out just on close house like the way that he yeah no i don't uh, i don't disagree with that nick and also the foul on audrey godal in in the in the open court like dude Uh, wrap him up don't slap him. You like know, You know what the problem is there, too, is he already made the decision before he got there. Instead of even trying to attempt to block the shot or do anything, he's like, I'm going to hit this guy and I'm going to foul him. Well, you couldn't even get to the ball because Andre Iguodala switched hands. So at that point, you just let him have the layup. You know, you don't give up the end one. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you just don't win. And at TLC, just he gets something in his head and then he sets his mind on it. And that's what he does. And obviously he's, he's improving, but that's, I think like one of the main issues with him is like you'd say, he he gets locked on one thing and then he can't really change his mind or adapt or react. Yeah. I don't think he has great basketball instincts uh, at, mm. at this point in time, just but the ability to, to adapt and, you know, react, adapt, act, apt yep. as uh, Michael Scott would say from the office. <laughs> um, but Nick, in saying that, you know, I put out on Twitter, you know, why aren't we getting Tyler Johnson and or Landry Shamet? Do you think that there needs to be a bit more flexibility? We did hear Steve Nash say before the game that, you know, he's showing support to, to Tyler Johnson. He's going to find his time. That we got a lot of deep guards in the rotation. Um, I, and, and I will say that there was a, a one play in an important part of the game where TLC did hit a three. Um, he was one of four from there, though. Uh, it was good to see him at least hit one. But Landry Shamina and Tyler Johnson being relegated out of the rotation yet again. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think TLC is just a little bit bigger than those guys. So it's just a little bit easier to play him, especially in the switching style defense. And he's not going to get he's not a great defender. And like we said, he has some fouling issues, but there's going to be moments where he at least can hold his own out there. And like we mentioned with Landry Shamit, teams have kind of attacked him a little bit. And Tyler Johnson, you know, you can make an argument for him, but he's also not necessarily the best defender, too. So I think the Nets probably have more confidence in TLC's defense. And if they don't, they think he's probably around the same level defender as the other two, but probably just a bigger body. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, any other, like Bruce Brown, Nick, I don't think that there is much to sort of analyze, you know, only 13 minutes for him. Um, there was a time where I thought he got in the way a little bit. He missed a floater, which was surprising, yeah. but um, it, it wasn't like he affected the game totally horribly, uh, even though he was minus seven in his minutes. Um, it did have a, a couple of boards here and there, but didn't affect the scoring line uh, too much. Um, I, I think that he's going to be a bit player uh, going forward. Um, and I think there's going to be games where you get some really big performances from him. But tonight against the Miami Heat, a team that you know executed zone uh, quite well, I don't think that that really suits a Bruce Brown um, and, and what he can provide the team. Yeah, no, it's an easy player to kind of help off of because he's not really willing to shoot a ton of threes. His three-point shot, like we mentioned, what he's 3 of 16 on the season. So he needs to really improve from that aspect to have an offensive impact. If not, he can... Re- it's tough to play him with DeAndre Jordan. I think we saw that for a little bit of a stretch because there's just two guys that provide you no spacing, and it just makes it that much easier to double-team a Kyrie, a James Harden, or a Kevin Durant. So, like you said, you know Bruce Brown's great, and he does some things, but it's also kind of picking the right moments, and a team like Miami is going to realize his weakness of not having a three-point shot and kind of take advantage of that. Yeah, and Nick, I alluded to the zone a little bit there. James Harden uh, told Alex Schiffer in the Nets media that Miami's zone was the key to the Nets' offensive struggles tonight. Um, Hattie, the, the Nets did probably a better job the previous game uh, at cracking it open a little bit and sort of, you know, attacking the middle and then forcing, you know, the, the defense to collapse as we, you know, if you want to hear our sort of analysis of that, check out the last podcast. But I thought that they executed better there. And basically, a lot of the time, not to sort of boil it down to, the Nets just missed shots. Yeah. They miss a lot of threes. I mean, if you miss threes against the zone, it's going to be really tough to win. I thought, you know, at times they did a good job taking advantage of some of the gaps in the zone and getting to the free throw line. Then also, I think there was a stretch where Eric Spolcher was forced to switch because they were just giving too many open threes to Kevin Durant. And he didn't knock them all down, but it was just like, okay, well, you know, this isn't going to work if Kevin Durant's out there because, you know, like zone closeouts don't really work against a seven-foot guy, especially when it's like a 6'3 guard. So KD was 3 of 12. On a normal night, he's probably 5 of 12 at least. And like you said, the net shot 28% from three, 11 of 38. And they just missed a lot of open looks. It's not like we're talking about forcing threes or James Harden shot 10 step backs. It was just like, hey, we missed open threes. And that's going to happen. And I think that's what kind of makes the win maybe – I don't want to say impressive because, again, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Avery Bradley are still out, but it's still like an important stepping stone moving forward of, hey, we can win a game when our three-point shot's not on because it felt like a lot of the wins came with the net shooting over 40% from three. Yeah, really good point there, Nick. It, it, it's good to to grind out a win, you know, to, to do it the Brooklyn grit sort of way. And, and to um, I, I thought that that's a, a really positive sign. You know, obviously there's going to be times, and, and, and I think in saying that, just because the, there might be cold quarters, there's yeah. going to be stretches where James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, like James Harden did in, in the closing uh, moments of the fourth quarter, and Kevin Durant provided some, some spurts here or there too. They're still going to hit shots because, you know, they might be cold for three quarters, but they're not going to be cold for four quarters overall. They're still going to hit clutch threes, clutch buckets. They're going to attack. I mean, I thought, like you mentioned, it, the Nets did do a much better job at really attacking and, and being physical. And, um, and and that's something that we've, we've uh, criticized them before, and that's been a question mark of theirs. And uh, I thought that's a really, really positive sign. Yeah, they finished the game with 22 free throws. I feel like they probably could have had more. Some of that's James Harden catching fire in the fourth quarter and not necessarily having to worry about getting to the line so much. But I think that's going to be a tool that they're going to go to a little bit more, especially down the stretch and in the postseason, because easy buckets are something that you're always willing to capitalize on.
Yeah, um, and then if hopefully at that point Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant will actually get some goddamn calls. Um, I don't understand what they need to do. It's just because they're just so good at, at shooting the ball and just so fluid. It, like, it feels like every single time they are creating some form of contact or, or, or trying to, that it should be a foul. And whether it's, I don't know, the... The the nets are, the the refs have a bias towards ugly white dudes like Kelly Olenek. I have no idea, but <laughs> I think Kyrie is even more apparent because he's an undersized guard. You know, he's a smaller player, so typically those guys are are getting more free throws. Where Kevin Durant, I can I can kind of get it sometimes just because of how he's so lanky. But it also felt like you know KD had a couple and one threes in this game that they didn't call either. So it's yep. just you know as time progresses, you know hopefully we get the calls later in the season when it really matters. Yeah, and, and look, back to the defense a little bit, Nick. Um, Jeff Green told Alex Schiffer and the Nets media uh, that the Nets have been communicating better on defense since the Cleveland series. So uh, another positive sign going forward for the Nets figuring out things defensively where they've been really, really poor. And, you know, it, we analyze it every episode. We analyze basically everything that happens in a game, but also the broader picture. But it is a positive sign. I don't expect the Nets to be a world-beating defensive team. But if we can show the level of effort, consistency and engagement and, and at least 90 to 95% of the execution we showed tonight will be at least an average defense. Yeah, they just need to make the other team earn their buckets, especially when it's not an elite offense. Like, you have to make them make shots. And I think, you know, communication is a big factor of that. And I think also, like, you see it on the court, but you saw it a lot tonight after plays. Like, hey, DeAndre Jordan, Joe Harris talking, Kyrie Irving, Jeff Green, or, you know, whoever it might be. Hey, like, what can we do better on that set? What happened in that situation? And what can we do? I thought another big factor tonight, Jack, Nets took care of the ball. Seven turnovers. That doesn't even feel real. We've been seeing seven turnover quarters on a regular basis. Since like seven turnovers in like eight minutes, it seems. Yeah. James Harden had like 11 turnovers or something like 10 turnovers in his first game. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that certainly helped, you know, taking care of the ball, not giving the Miami Heat. When you are lacking your superstar talent, don't give them extra possessions. Don't give them easy buckets. Um, and, and that certainly did help. And the Nets themselves were able to score 18 points off the Miami Heat 14 turnovers. So it shows that there was a greater engagement defensively. Uh, and, a, and while, you know, the zone allows you to just get a shot up um, and, and sort of can bail you out, uh, in the previous game, the Nets, uh, you know, did have uh, an inflated number of turnovers compared to tonight's game. So there's going to be a balance. There's going to be, and I think that tonight, it was it, it it allowed us to you know just take care of the ball and get the extra possessions because if you're looking at the the shot attempts as well it's 85 to 84 and if the the nets give we've seen you know quarters before where the nets have had 10 less shots and they're still in the game somehow so um, I think that the nets are doing a good job and they're figuring out all the little things along the way um, they're gonna there's gonna be you know 20 turnover performances but as long as we can sort of show at least greater uh, transition defense and fast break defense uh, a little better than TLC hopefully then I think they'll be okay yeah and Jack do you think it's a benefit of playing the same team twice in the matter of three days like you know you're starting to pick up on some of their defensive tendencies and like hey I can't do that and last time it was a turnover I'm playing the same team and majority of the same guys you think that helped yeah, I mean, the baseball series sort of thing certainly does help, but it didn't help against Cleveland. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's, it's a give and take sort of thing. It's a, it's a team-dependent scenario. And, 
you know, basketball is a, it's an incredibly random game. And I think we're in an incredibly random season as well. Um, so hopefully going forward, when we do have these back-to-back series or, um, you know, one game and a, and a night off sort of series, and they can continue to make the uh, the needed adjustments. It's, it's happened for the most part this season. You know, the Atlanta Hawks um, is one that springs to mind. But um, in, in saying that, uh, it, there's also an element of randomness to it, I think, Nick. Yep, 100%. Jack, did you want to talk about Cleveland a little bit more? Do you have anything else on this game? Um, nothing from this game, Nick. I think that there are positive signs, as I alluded to, to outscore the Miami Heat 28-14 to 14 in the final period, hold them to 14 points, where, you know, that's where the Miami Heat really did come back against us in the previous game. It did help that Bam was hitting, you know, every single shot under the sun. But like I alluded to, Jeff Green was good there. The help defense was good there. The team defense was good there. So to keep the Miami Heat to 14 points and to 85 points overall, Positive signs, and I'm wondering if we're going to see general media pundits and uh, as sport pundits, ESPN, actually recognize the defense from the Nets tonight. No, they'll probably just say, Nets only beat Heat by 13 points without Jimmy <laughs> Baller and Tyler Hero. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, 6 of 17 from the field. Is he washed? <laughs> Should Kyrie retire? No, <laughs> oh, come on, man. Don't read that shit here. <laughs> But uh, all right, Jack, what else do we have to talk about tonight? All right, we got some rumors, Nick. Uh, as always, it seems to me that I tend to wake up to a rumor at 5 a.m. and have to tweet something out about it. And the the big one, obviously, is that uh, JaVale McGee, those rumors are heating up. But it ain't just the JaVale McGee. It's the other two Brooklyn centers, uh, sorry, Cleveland centers there. And uh, it's not the one that we want and we loved before, but it's Andre Drummond and it's Kevin Love, or all of them being linked uh, via Jason Dumas of the uh, K-Ron, News, K-Ron 4 News in San Francisco. Don't know how reputable a source that is. But also, uh, the, in terms of the Andre Drummond buyout, via Andrew Yang, Yang Gang, uh, and also uh, Kevin O'Connor. And I alluded to the bird rights things, Nick's off the pod. But we can chat about, I guess, the Kevin Love one because I think that's the one that people want to see. We want to see the star. No, Kyrie we don't Irving. want to see it. We, do, we oh, don't want to see this. I like it. Look, objectively speaking, I like Kevin Love as a person as much as anything. He's one of my favorite human beings in the NBA. But this just doesn't work salary-wise. It, it just doesn't. Like, And we're not putting Joe Harris in a trade. Like, Just end it. Joe Harris is better than Kevin Love right now. We're not putting him in a trade. Just put it to bed. And if you think you want Kevin Love more than Joe Harris, then uh, I'm not going to tell you to unsubscribe to the buzz because we love all our listeners. But um, I will have a strong wording to you if you want to jump in my DMs at the J-Man JBT. Go argue with Jack in his DMs. But uh, <laughs> they could technically make it happen without Joe Harris. It would be Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, DeAndre Jordan, Landry Shamit, and I think TLC technically could get you close enough. At least that's what somebody reached out to me on Twitter and said. I'd have to double check because none of the trade machines are letting you do it because, you know, some of the... Oh, maybe it was Tyler Johnson instead of TLC. I'm not sure. But okay. something along those lines. And still, I'm not even sure that really makes sense because Kevin Love... <laughs> is not healthy at this point. Like I put out a tweet. He's missed so many games over the last couple of years. He's only played two games this season. And one of the Nets' biggest issues right now is defense. And Kevin Love at his in his prime was never a good defender. There really is no value in bringing Kevin Love to Brooklyn unless it's on a buyout. If the Cavs want to buy him out for $90 million, sure, I'll take him in Brooklyn. If not, this trade, I'm not going to really spend much time on it. <laughs> No, it, it seems incredibly unrealistic, unfeasible. But hey, throw names out there. Why not? Um, j- just for the sake of it. Well, he I, sounds a lot, a lot more feasible and a lot more likely. Yeah, no, and we've seen photos. I mean, I saw photos of him. You know, hanging with uh, Kevin Durant in the past. You know, old Golden Warriors teammates. But yeah, in terms of Javale McGee, there there seems to be a, str- a strong likelihood that you know we could get him now. 
Nick, what do you think the package would be to uh, acquire uh, point guard JaVale McGee? So the, the Nets could use their disabled player exception on this because JaVale McGee is an expiring contract, so they can absorb the $4.2 million. And I think they could get away with sending a, two second-rounders to Cleveland, maybe one. I don't think they have to do anything too crazy. You know, JaVale McGee's not necessarily the biggest name out there. You know, there is a possibility maybe you include a Landry Shamit or something if that's really what they want. I think the Nets would probably consider that. But I think it's more likely you use the, the disabled player exception, send them some second-round picks. Cleveland has plenty of centers, and they're trying to build up some draft uh, draft stock. No, I think it's a deal that works for, for both parties. And you know, I think JaVale McGee would automatically maybe even start for this team. He, he deserves, I, I think he's a, do you think he's a better player than DeAndre Jordan right now, Nick? Yeah, I do. I think he's just, he's a better idea of like what his role is and what he needs to do. Obviously he kind of makes some of the same knucklehead mistakes that DeAndre Jordan does, but I think he's also a better vertical spacer at this point. You know, he has better hops. He's a little bit lankier. So I think regardless, starting, coming off the bench, whatever it might be, we mentioned this before, James Harden desperately needs a vertical spacer for the second unit if he's going to continue to be in that role. JaVale McGee could easily be that guy. And, you know, there'll be times where he plays more than DeAndre Jordan just because I think he's not super mobile, but he's he's moving better than DeAndre. And that's not necessarily saying a ton. Yeah, I think, what is it? He's won three of the last four championships that have happened or something along yeah. those lines. He's a winning player, and I think another underrated thing, and I'm not sure how true this is these days. I mean, we see the highlights of him, you know, running the break himself. But I also think he would fit the Nets when they want to run out in transition. I think oh, he's yeah. a guy that willingly does that. Whereas DeAndre can be a little bit lumbering at times. I think consistently you can rely on Javale McGee to provide a threat. You know, if there's a, a miss and and he, you know, one of the the guards gets it and he's going to be out there. You know, and we saw countless times last season LeBron James throw full court passes to him or or AD, and I think he would fit the Nets uh, quite seamlessly uh, in a lot of regards. So, who knows? By to by the time we wake up tomorrow, not sure if we're going to be able to do emergency Brooklyn buzz for, for these sort of ones. We will try. Um, uh, but uh, your boy's going back to work, having to, to teach the youth of Australia and the youth of Melbourne. Um, but you know, I'll try and sacrifice uh, the youth of Australia and the youth of Melbourne for uh, an emergency Brooklyn buzz uh, if need be. Yeah, and I think another thing with JaVale McGee is he's a pretty good offensive rebounder just looking at some of his stats. Like, he's averaged over two offensive rebounds before in a season, which isn't easy to do, and he's just a big body. You know, the Nets need some size in the paint. Somebody clog that stuff up, and JaVale McGee can do that. And like you said, Jack, hopefully we get some news on it. You know, maybe we can hit you with the emergency pod. We'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I think that he is an automatic upgrade in, in many regards that we just alluded to. But, Nick, I did find the the reason uh, the bird rights such. Uh, this is via at SportsNob. Um, in terms of the Andre Drummond signing and buyout, uh, it would also lose bird rights for Drummond and severely limit the teams that could pay him this summer. Uh, this is why Kevin o that's why Sportsnom, and, and the rumors were brought up by Kevin O'Connor talking with Andrew Yang, uh, and he said this, people around the league say the Nets are hoping that Andre Drummond uh, gets bought out. That's what people say they're hoping for, but that's unlikely because Cleveland is actually still in the playoff hunt. If I were to give you, you know, both of these centers on uh, just in front of you, Nick, and you know, in a vacuum, well, let's not consider second round picks and, and and everything else. Who do you think would add more value to the Nets team, Andre Drummond or Javale McGee? Honestly, it sounds like such a crazy question when you just like say it to me. But like, part of me wants to say Javale McGee, but Andre Drummond is still really talented, and this would be the best team he ever played on. You'd have to assume he'd be locked in in some way. But I think there's pro. I think. I don't even know if I need to make an argument. JaVel McGee is a better defender than Andre Drummond, right? Um, well, Andre Drummond's averaging 1.5 blocks per game. I, I think he's improved there. 
Um, I think he's he's been somewhat better there. And, I mean, Andre Drummond's a better rebounder, but sometimes they're like, you know, DeMar DeRozan sort of buckets. They're like empty rebounds that don't necessarily impact winning. So, look, it's negligible. I'd rather I have think. Andre Drummond. I know Corey would come from ahead if I said Javon McGee. <laughs> but I think it's more, it's closer than you probably think it is because I think there's just some question about Andre Drummond's buy-in and his impact on winning. And I think that's always been the hate on him. And like you mentioned, Jack, Javel McGee's been on numerous winning teams, you know, playing a small role, but he's still been on those teams and had some type of impact. Yeah, and in terms of, you know, Andre Drummond, you know, he's going to want to, he's a, a somewhat valuable free agent in this offset. So he's going to want to, if anything, I think he's probably prefer to stay in Cleveland because he can continue putting up career numbers, 18 points, 14 and a half rebounds, nearly three dimes and 1.5 blocks. He's not going to be able to get those numbers. I mean, he could be how Dennis Rodman and just get 30 boards a night. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, and if, I still think, you know, he is incredibly young. He's like 27 or something. So look, He's the better player in a vacuum, but the better fit, like you mentioned, is probably a JaVale McGee in terms of just a guy to buy into a role who can do the little things as a center and allow our star players to thrive and and the players around him to thrive. And um, Look, I think that it's negligible. Both of these guys aren't great defenders. I'd much prefer to be talking about you know some other dude too. Larry Nance. Has- <laughs> Larry Nance, uh, Jared Allen, two Brooklyn, two one a former Brooklyn Net, one uh, Brooklyn Net that we've hoped to be on this this team for a very very long time. But yeah, I guess it's it's negligible, Nick, in, in a vacuum. I think Drummond too, though, would be like such a weapon for James Harden on the pick and roll because he does have a little bit of touch. He's comfortable with the ball down there. I mean, Drummond on this team would probably be nuts. KD and Kyrie and James Harden probably get the best out of them. So, like you said, the defense is probably closer. But offensively and rebounding-wise, I think Drummond's kind of more of a monster. But like you said, too, it it doesn't necessarily make sense for Cleveland to buy him out unless he requests it. Unless he's commenting on all the Nets' Instagram posts for the next couple months, I'm not going to believe it. (laughs) And he's hanging in the background when Kevin Love and JaVale McGee are celebrating. Who knows? But uh, Chris Mulholland also brought up, Nick, that the Nets... as well as, you know, attaching picks, could uh, attach uh, one of their stash players, their international stash players. And um, Chris Mulholland mentioned that uh, Isaiah Cordinier uh, is one of the Nets' top stash players. So that could be a guy um, that to uh, attach to some sort of package to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I believe uh, they acquired him in the Jeremy Lin trade. There you go. Look at Nick with the, the knowledge. I'm, uh, I'm too busy thinking about Joe Harris and OnlyFans content for tonight. But um, I'm just trying to think if we... Oh, Nick, I wanted to bring this one up to you, and uh, this is unprompted. But we've seen our, our boy, um, former Brooklyn Nets, um, solid vet, Garrett Temple, balling uh, in Chicago in his last five games. 15 points of 56% shooting, 48% from three, uh, 85% from the free, 86% from the free throw line. Did the net? Did Sean Marks? Did Joe Sy make a mistake and let a GT the Prez go? I mean, I think my biggest argument is like I would want to have that contract to trade. The five million dollars yeah. is a number that you could use to move for somebody. You know what I mean? And then combine it with some two other players, smaller players, you get yourself up to you know eight mil, nine mil. Now you're getting a real player and somebody on expiring deal, sending some second round picks. But even not like. I think Temple did provide value, but the question is, like, who do you take off this team? You know what I mean? Maybe it's you you uh, don't trade for Landry Shaman and you acquire a first-round pick for the future or something like that. Maybe that's a possibility, but obviously the Nets didn't believe in Temple and what he could do with this team. And I think maybe they just didn't see a role for him. 
Yeah, I think that's probably more likely so and, and what they would have to pay for him. And I don't agree with it because I've always been a Garrett Temple fan and I think that what he could add to this team would be, you know, an upgrade in defense than, that we need on the perimeter. You put him alongside, you essentially get basically a, a perimeter version of Jeff Green in, in my eyes. And if you have Jeff Green and Garrett Temple, solid vets, you know, you, always, you look at a, a lot of winning teams in yesteryear, they always have those guys that can contribute quite consistently. And, you know, Garrett Temple has done for the Brooklyn Nets in the past and I have no doubt that he would be doing it if he was a Brooklyn net right now so keep balling out maybe you get maybe he gets bought out who knows if Chicago fall fall away you know the buyouts are more likely to happen if Chicago struggle if Cleveland struggle so uh, hope for some Cleveland and or Chicago losses to get the likes of Thaddeus Young and um, and, and Garrett Temple and guys that um, we've talked about on, on trade buzzes before but Nick, anything else you wanted to add before we get to the topic that everyone has been waiting for that Kevin Durant's timeline has been saturated with no, Jack, let's move on to the big, the big important topic of the day. The only topic that matters, and the reason why Kevin Durant performed so poorly tonight, because he was too busy thinking about Godzilla versus King Kong. And KD has made his statement, I can't see Godzilla losing this matchup. He said he definitely needs to be load managed. He's been at it for a century. He also alluded to, as soon as the god opens his mouth, it would be a wrap. Pause. What are your thoughts and, and as well, from the trailer, he's he, he, analyzing the trailer as well. I do like this. The, he doesn't like analytics in general, but he likes the analytics when it comes to movie trailers. From the trailer, Godzilla was wreaking havoc in the water and on land. This looks like a landslide. What are your thoughts, Nick? Firstly, initially, because he also got into some stuff criticizing your boy Iron Man, Spencer Dimwitty. Not sure if he'd be happy with that. But if we're talking Godzilla versus King Kong, what are your thoughts? I mean, he he's right. Godzilla has to blast out of his mouth. That, like, doesn't seem like a fair fight. You know, King Kong's just got the brute strength, and Godzilla has that, too. And he's got, like, this these spikes on his back, Jack. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think I'm wrong with Godzilla here. King Kong, it would be a pretty big upset. He better get, like, a shield or something. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I probably would roll with Godzilla as well. But to play devil's advocate... You know, King Kong has the knowledge of Earth that I think is a bit greater than Godzilla. He's this, you know, demigod, sort of weird alien, crocodile, alligator sort of thing. King Kong knows what's what's going on on planet Earth. And I think, you know, that's the home court advantage you give to KK. And, and it's... But also, I think in this situation, though, Godzilla is from Earth as well, Jack. I'm pretty oh, sure no, they said it's like a 500-year war or something. And okay. that this is the um, last two remaining. Well, there we go. There we go. That that makes my argument null and void. But I also will say, King Kong's a big dude, and, and he's got hands. Like, I think King Kong is an objectively better fighter. If we're going like a fist fight, Conor McGregor style, then I think Godzilla would be lying down like Conor McGregor was the other night in UFC 245 or whatever the heck it was. I think you got the number right. <laughs> Did I? Oh, wow, that would be pretty good if I uh, random number out of my ass. But in, in saying that, Nick, uh, I'll give a little bit of love to King Kong, even though uh, that giant monkey dude uh, is a massive simp. Like, that dude simped that whatever the, the character was in, in, in previous iterations. But I'm a big fan of the, the current iterations of King Kong as well with the lovely bit of Woody Harrelson, some James Franco action. But I think Godzilla is probably the dude. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think King Kong might have, you know, better technique here, but uh, Godzilla's just got that God-given talent. You want, and look, the God-given talent includes the height as well, Nick. KD would know yeah. about height. I also heard, this is via KD on his, on his Twitter, I also heard, heard that Godzilla is originally 980 foot, 984 feet tall, and they had to make him 300 foot tall to make this an even matchup. 
Yeah, well, why does KD know so much about Godzilla's measurements? He's the one that's always talking himself down and being like, you know, I'm not actually a seven-footer. I'm like 6'9", man. But then, like, we see the Team USA photos and he's talking about Jordan Marcus Collins. I don't know, Jack. Maybe KD's just trying to, to let out his inner Godzilla. Hey, who knows? Who knows? He's also a big fan of Batman as well. Um, in response to uh, Billy Reinhardt of uh, Next Alley, uh, he, he said this about Batman. Him being rich and incorporating tech made him cool to me. But he said that, uh, uh, like, Iron Man, he wasn't a fan. And it's just like, Iron Man couldn't get busy without the suit, though. But, dude, like, he's a rich guy with tech. Like, and he made his making... own suit. He's literally, like, in the Marvel Universe. He's, like, one of the top 15 smartest people in the world. <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, I think Katie's conflicting himself with, uh, look, look, he's an incredible basketball, and we're not going to uh, argue about any of his talents there, but man, some of his superhero takes I'm not necessarily agreeing with, because he also thinks uh, that Bane, the only person that could get Bane, and look, Tom Hardy is Bane, one of the great villains uh, in superhero movie history, only Superman, Superman could get Bane one-on-one, in my opinion. He thinks Killmonger had hands, but he'd get washed. Big fan of Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger, by the way, as well. He's goddamn awesome. Um, but Nick, what are your thoughts on Bane being, uh, you know, just the, the dominant force that Kevin Durant thinks he is? Well, I mean, if Killmonger gets his suit, then it's a wrap. Bane doesn't even stand a chance because he's taking all that kinetic energy and throwing it right back at him. So come on, Katie, do the science here, man. I mean, the, he's loving the analytics, like, you know, the heights and, you know, the, the, the years and stuff, but he ain't looking too deep into it. <laughs> but, man, this is uh, this is a lot of fun, Nick. I, I love it. when Whenever Kevin Durant is on Twitter, you better believe it that we'll be covering it on the Brooklyn Buzz. Yes, we will. Everything Kevin Durant, and like we said, you know, even a rough game tonight, he still had a positive impact, and it's just we're lucky to have a player of that stature on the Brooklyn Nets. Absolutely. Uh, Godzilla probably. Godzilla in six, Nick. Yeah, probably five. Might be a sweep. Don't ask me. <laughs> wow, wow. No love to King Kong. Check out the movie on HBO yeah. Max. Uh, wait, we wait, are not here's the craziest thing, though, Jack. This is uh, so irrelevant. Is that he, KD just provided them millions of dollars in free marketing. He <laughs> like, did. It, look, it, like, and look, HBO Max is going to do numbers uh, with that. And if it, hopefully Americans are allowed out the cinemas at that point in time as well. I wanted to bring one other thing to you as well, Nick. We saw KD and Kyrie change uh, their shoes at halftime. And Kevin Durant uh, alluded to this to Alex Schiffer in the Nets media. I stubbed my toe in the first half. Said he thought he would get him in the second. To his credit, he had 18, uh, 14 points in the second half. Uh, what he was near, he had six in the first half. What are your thoughts, I guess, on players changing shoes at halftime? Do whatever works for you. If you want to change your shoes, it thinks you're going to shoot better. You know, sometimes you also put on a brand new pair of shoes, like, and they are not comfortable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or whatever it is, maybe you got a blister on your foot or something. These guys, their feet are disgusting. Like they play basketball for a living. They're running and jumping more than anyone is humanly possible is supposed to do. So, you know, switch the shoes, whatever's comfortable. You're going to probably play better if your feet feel good. Absolutely. I want to give this quote out as well via Matt Brooks because this is just a uh, Kevin Rand gives just such great quotes. I wish I was Matt Brooks right now. Uh, Kevin Rand compares James Harden's introduction to Brooklyn to transferring to a new school and trying to figure out the curriculum. As a teacher, KD, you're speaking my language, my guy. I couldn't love him anymore. I mean, not necessarily big on the superhero takes. I'm a I'm a big Spider-Man fan. But in saying that, if you, you're going to provide uh, some school and, and some educational quotes, uh, then you're bringing me back in, dude. Yeah, no, I think it, it's, you know, he's trying to just get a feel for what the Nets value in their practices and just adjusting to different things. So, you know, like we said, it's a learning process, probably take around 15 games, but so far so good. And we saw some real positive signs tonight.
Always a pleasure, Jack. And big thanks to everybody for listening. You can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Scary hours. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.